What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Drinks and Dogs, episode 32, KD. 32. I, I How are you doing? my Spanish every episode. <laughs> every it's episode. Perfect. I get to practice. 32. Well, what in uh in Florida there's a lot of a lot of Cubans, right? See. Si. Si. <laughs> Just the random conversations that happen here. All right, so brother. So how uh, have you been, man? How have you been since the last time I talked to you? Good. Good, good, good. Busy, busy, busy. Um, some fun stuff, digging a lot deeper into uh working with dog trainers and um some projects that i have going on um anybody who follows me on facebook should be able to see a little bit more focus a little bit more direction and it's only because you know i it's our job to observe yep. the market to listen to the market to listen to you know anybody who has social media and uses it for any purpose knows like you have to look at how people respond to the content you put out and um a lot of I, i'm seeing a lot of dog trainers posting and i'm seeing a lot of dog trainers engaging with my posts so with that being you know me observing that it's like all right well you know there's a need and i'm we've talked about this before but yeah. man there's so many dog trainers struggling and they're not struggling with dogs yeah with everything else involved and being a dog trainer and it's funny too because well not funny but it's interesting because case in point i had uh, someone that was instant messaging me pet dog owner um, needed some help and we're going to be actually i think talking tonight um, about if they're going to be a good candidate for my program the canine blueprint but in the conversation they were like you know i just really love dogs i really love learning about dogs um i, I love working with my dog i've, I've even been thinking about pursuing this further to a career and i didn't get into it because it was instant messaging but i'm thinking oh when we talk like case in point someone curious or intrigued by the idea of being a professional dog trainer based on the fact that they like working with dogs and i'm like yeah that's not what it's about <laughs> <laughs> and you know some people are like what do you mean it's not what it's about well if they listen to drinks and dogs if they follow you and i they know being a dog trainer is so much more than working with dogs. But anyway, that's another topic. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been busy with. What about you? Uh shoot, man. We've been uh we've been pretty busy. You know, um you know, typically like January, part of February, a little bit of our slow season. So I kind of focus more on the marketing aspect of things, you know, talking about, you know, dog training, not just being dog training. You know, that at this point in my career, like, you know, like the dog training aspect of things is so simple that it's like a very small portion of my day day to day life. You know, so right now, you know, it's right right now we're on in the midst uh, or in the beginning of the road to street league uh, tours that we're doing, the workshops that we're doing that we yeah, you just you just had one in Florida weekend or something. Yeah, so we just wrapped up. Uh, Chris Corley, Courtney Wolf, and Rich Aquina uh, just wrapped up in Florida. Uh, they did a two day workshop for Canine Street League. And then we did a law enforcement workshop for Ray Allen. Um, and, you know, they went out there and they killed it. You know, uh, I wrote a basically like a full syllabus, like a breakdown of how do things go? How do things go? Uh, how do things how things should go there? Uh, not enough coffee yet. I've uh, been up very early. Um, but they didn't like they killed it. They they ran it, you know, from A to Z perfectly. Uh, we got a, got a lot of good responses from it. So everyone was pretty pumped about it. Uh, I was very happy, you know, as you know, Katie, I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. Well, kind of air quotes. Uh, um, uh, so like, you know, just, I didn't want to bug them as much as I wanted to. I was like, you know what? These guys are professionals. They're grown men. They can handle it. They know what to do. I wrote something out very simple uh, and they murdered it. So I was pretty happy. That's the first one. Um, the law enforcement one was big. Uh, the Canada Street League workshops were pretty large as well. Um, so I'm pretty pumped with it. Very happy. Uh, we're on to the next one. Uh, which is going to be in Texas uh, with Dennis Stravi and one of my guys, uh, Corey Styles, and they're going to be doing the two-day workshop for Canada Street League, and that that one's looking pretty big. And then uh, next day or the day after for the law enforcement aspect with, for Ray Allen. So uh, lots of things happening, and then and then onto that we go into Memphis, and then we have a few other things on in the in the works. So just so people understand, and I guess partially so I can understand a little bit better. Uh... <laughs> When you say canine street league workshop, yep, what does that mean? 
So it's intro to Canine Street League. Uh, if anyone's been following us for a little while, we usually do these on Street Week, which is the two days before the trial where we do the, the seminars. And what it does, what we do in these Canine Street League workshops is we break down everything from the rules, the point system, the code of conduct, uh, to like the obedience exercises, the protection exercises, all the stuff that you need to know in order to be even go even going into the equipment that you need. Um, so in these workshops, what we do is we break down the full rule book, go go do everything, do a Q and A after every single uh, section, so everyone can understand it. And then we do walkthroughs without a dog through the obedience aspect of things. And then we bring a dog out, see if they you know if they have the neutrality uh, to actually be around decoys, and if they don't, we work around cones. We troubleshoot a lot of the problems that they may be having, or just maybe things that the the handlers haven't wouldn't you know didn't think about, uh, and we troubleshoot all those things, and then we just start putting things together, help them out, help them understand the exercise, uh, you know, work the dogs through the protection scenarios, each individual one, um, help them with the problems that they may be having, uh, help them basically give them as much advantage as possible, and to the understanding of these exercises so they get the highest point to totals uh, for them. And then what work whatever is what's best for the dog. So it's each one is very, it's it's a it's a very structured one, a very structured workshop. But what we do is we tailor it each exercise to the dog that we're working with. So we kind of scale down or scale up depending on the dog, um, and then work each exercise and scenario. So people so should absolutely attend those. <laughs> yes, um, I can't I can't stress enough. Uh, that if you're interested in KNS Street League and if you have a workshop that's driving distance or even if you can get to, get there by plane and you're interested in it, these one these seminars are and these workshops are vastly different than any other workshop you've been through before. You know, we're not going through some we're not going through some PowerPoint. We're not going through just like, you know, a very rigid here, this is how it is, boom, 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 okay, your dog can't do it, get out of here type of a thing. You know, we work with the individual, we spend a, a full day. I mean, my guys are roughly doing from talking to Courtney and Corley and Rich, you know, they're doing nine hour days at these workshops, working with these people. Uh, and it's something that, you know, it's something that like I, I put out there uh, for everybody. Like, you know, if you work with me in a workshop, you know that like, okay, I'm going to break this down and then we're going to break it down to you understand it until your dog gets the most understanding of it and the most retainable information. Uh, and you leave with something to work on. You leave with some understanding of what's going on and what are the, what are the things you need to work on per your dog. And it's not no like cookie cutter workshop. You know, we, we keep as, Although we have it very structured, we keep it very tailored. You know, the whole topic of workshops and seminars, oh boy. Like, they're, they, they're so different. So different. Yes. And, it, you know, I, I'm admittedly, I, I'm not a seminar junkie. Never Same. was. Have I been to some? Yes, of course. I absolutely have. Absolutely. But we know that there are not even, I'm not even really talking about dog owners right now, as much as like even dog trainers were like obsessed with the seminar. I mean, traveling everywhere. And in one way it's like, you know, that is awesome that they're committed to learning and willing because it's not easy to travel to seminars, especially when you're doing working spots. So you're bringing your dog everywhere. Like that's it's 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 very stressful. It's very challenging. It's a lot for people to leave their businesses, leave their families, invest yeah. money, and travel and hotels and blah 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 blah. So it's like wow, yeah, that that's a lot of that's awesome commitment. But I think people need to be a little careful because I've seen people they're at every seminar and you know because they're in every photograph, and then it's like I see their dogs. Or I see the post about what didn't happen at trial. Or if they're a business owner, I I see what they're struggling with, with pet dogs. And it's like, you know, there is something to be said, too, about actually just training some dogs. Yep. And you can't compensate. Like, the you can go to a ton of seminars, but at some point, like, there's information overload. And depending on who you're studying from, you know, you have to sort out conflicting information. You have to identify stuff you want to adopt, stuff you want to practice. But you still, but that means you gotta you gotta stay home for a couple months and actually do it. You, you gotta stay home and actually like practice. So all that money spent is useless if you're not getting ample opportunity running it. 
I mean, you can you can have all the information in the world. If you can't apply it, it's a totally different thing. You know, like the thing I would always used to tell my staff all the time when they they, they started when I tell them I started telling them like, hey, like go check out some seminars, is they get all this information, but there's no hands on. You know, the dog training realistically, if you want to be a successful dog trainer, you you pick a, a you know a theory and a, you know a method, and then you drill that. For a long period of time, you master that, you understand that, you put your hands on as many dogs as you possibly can, you train those dogs, you know, the, to the best of your potential, and you you build and you start forming your own stuff. I think a lot of times people get stuck in this, like, I got to go to this workshop, I got to go to this seminar, I got to do these things. And in my personal opinion, although I do workshops and everything, but I don't do very much, very many of them, and I, I gap them out purposely, you know, if you, there is a such thing as, you know, not, it's not have, getting getting too much information without as much experience. And that's what happens with a lot of the young dog trainers. You know, they get all this information, but there's no experience. And then when they get all this information, they start using all the terms, they start using all these things, but they've only trained like 50 dogs. They've only trained like 20 dogs, you know, like the thing I was always tell like my guys, I'm like, dude, was like at certain points in Primal Canine, I never went to a seminar because I, I was busy training 40, 50 dogs a month, you know, just by like, just solo, like what, what I was doing. And I gained more experience training those dogs, you know, and learning, you know, just learning from those dogs than I've ever learned in, from any workshop, from any, you know, seminar, from any book, from anything, you know, like the same thing, like with my mentor, you know, my mentor used to put as many dogs in front of me and like, I would learn from those dogs and like from what he would teach me in those senses. And as long as you learn, like, I, I forgot what the term, the term is of it, term of it is, but as long as you learn like the basics of dog training, like the understanding the classical conditioning, the opera conditioning, as long as you learn those things and you understand those concepts, you know, it's all about like, you know, for us, like for me, at least it's like kind of forming your own theory. And, you know, you, you proof that theory by applying it over and over and over again, then you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work per dog. And, you know, the, the one thing that I've learned from, you know, some of the seminars that I've seen or been around is that, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's gospel, right? Like it's, it's, that's how it is. This is how it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. And and the reality of it is there is no single one way of training a dog. No, nope. you know, there's no one specific way. There's no best way. There's no, you know, there's no, that's it's every dog is different. You know, there's, you have to scale it differently. So I see that being a problem and nothing against people who do a lot of seminars and workshops, as long as you understand, as long as you put it out there, like, Hey, like this is what works for me for certain dogs, but understanding that's not gospel. You know, I tell that to all, I tell it to everybody. It's like, you know, this is, I've every single time, if you look at my whole, if you look at all my videos from all the boarding trains I've trained over the years, you can't, there's very, there's similarities in how I've trained them, but they're not exactly the same every single time. They shouldn't be because they're different dogs. Exactly. Well, and it's like, and so people have context here. So they understand. It takes a certain amount of experience and time to be able to get what you even need from a seminar. Meaning, something I see that the dog trainers I do work with, I speak with them on, or people watching shows like this. If you're a new dog trainer, you know, your first couple of years even, that's not when you should be doing tons of seminars. Nope. And, but we see the converse. They think because they're new, that's what they should be doing. And it's like, maybe one, go to one, or you're working with a mentor. Maybe a lot of people don't even have mentors. All right, so you, you find a seminar you want to go to. They go and now go back and train a couple hundred dogs using just that information. But if they're constantly at seminars too early in their career, the... The problem is they don't know what to keep and what to throw away. Case in point, see pet dog trainers, new pet dog trainers going to working dog seminars. Maybe they have a working dog. Okay, that's one thing. But if your bread and butter in your business is working with pet dogs, can you or I go to a working dog seminar or a seminar put on by a working dog expert and take information and apply it to pet dogs? Yeah, because we got time holding leashes. So we know what to take. We know where to and where to put it. The new dog trainer doesn't have enough experience, you know, and I've seen new pet dog people post it on social media 
with some pet dog client and they're doing things and I know where they got it from because you know you've been around long enough you see you see certain things you know exactly where they learned it from who they yeah. learned it from right and they're doing things with pet dogs and it's like one <laughs> I guarantee you that client doesn't want that or need that and I guarantee that what you're doing isn't going to help them with what they want and what they need but innocently enough they don't know they're doing like complex obedience luring and things that like are for maybe creating uh perfect positioning in competition level obedience like head posture shoulder posture ass being 45 you know all the little things you worry about when you're on a on a on a trial field but they're yeah. doing it with a pet dog that has leash reactivity that still has leash reactivity and it's like uh, no like now you and I can go to that same seminar and pick out a little something and go, Ooh, I could apply that little thing and I could put that here and, and that will help me for that pet dog owner, you know, but like having an Anatolian shepherd doing like healing in between the legs and spin out in boxes and stuff. It's like, I've, no, <laughs> I've got a funny thing about that. So, uh, speaking of, like going into seminars and uh learning like you know some high-end obedience or whatever from like that and then applying it to pet clients that don't need it i've uh experienced that with a a, a former a past former employee and i was like it, it was pretty it was pretty funny like <laughs> talking to clients after that they're like well i don't really need any of that stuff but they're very like you know because this is the same thing you know they they go when you're new and like obviously like you and I we've we've been around the block quite a bit uh in dogs. So like some of the there's not there's not really any new there's no real new techniques in dog training. It's everything that essentially is relabeled with something mm -hmm. different or someone's style is different. But essentially everything essentially that's everything in dog training has already been out there. So we've already seen it in yep. some form or fashion. You know, the only reason why things are different now is because you know, it's you know a social media, right? Uh, now, or maybe someone someone maybe explains it differently. Someone has their own take on teaching it differently, which is very valuable. Yeah, and you you see that, and like, but like again, this is like something with new dog trainers. Once they hear this information and they've never heard it before, or they've never experienced it before, like for me, I tell my guys all the time, like, I'm teaching you the stuff that you need to learn, the the stuff that you need to know, so you can make money. I'm not gonna. I'll I'll teach you the rest of the things that you need to know later. Once you've once you've been in the game for five years, for six years, whatever it is, but what stuff you need to know now is the stuff that your clients need now. Like I don't need you to teach your pet client indirect rewards and proper head positioning and all this stuff when they just need the dog to heal, sit down, recall, not be reactive, not be know, a dick. Yeah, yeah, not be a dick. Like they don't need to learn all this like indirect, direct. You know, they don't need all this like complicated you know competition level obedience they just need to know the basics of obedience but i've seen that before in like new dog trainers where they just all of a sudden they get this information and next thing you know it's like all these clients are you know wasting private lessons doing all this dumb shit and like i'm like, <laughs> I'm like dude like you guys are it's ridiculous it's it's almost comical in a sense once you see it happen because you i've seen it happen so many times over and over again but i mean yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in the sense, like, if you're brand new into dog training and you're trying to get better at dog training, the way you get better at dog training is training dogs. And yeah, like that. you, that's such a novel yeah. concept. Yeah, and that the other thing too is that you know, like you said before, you know, dog training is being a professional dog trainer. Trainer is vastly different than just training a dog. And there's so many different things that you have to do because, in reality of it, you know, you're not really going to be on the leash when you're teaching when you're when you're training with a client, you're teaching the client how to train their dog. So it's a lot of people skills as well. You have to, uh, you have to grow that side of your personality. Cause I mean, we've talked about this for another podcast. What's the most common thing dog trainer per potential dog trainer say, or when they say they want to get into this industry, it's, I don't like people. So I just want to work. I just want to train dogs. I'm like, well, guess what? <laughs> dog training is talking to people, relating to people, Making, making sure that you take down their shield so they can absorb the information so you can be relatable, you can talk to them and give them the information so they can train their dog better and having those people skills and not being, you know, abrasive and not being, a, you know, a jerk because they're not catching on to it really quickly, you know, understanding those things 
that's that's dog training that's being a professional dog trainer you can train you can be the best dog trainer in the world but if you don't got people skills you're not going to be successful in your business it's knowing how to walk into a home as a male dog trainer and not alienating the husband in front of his wife yep like yep. that's that's an example i talk about with some of the the male trainers i work with you know it's like if you aren't even aware that that is a thing you have to do, like, guess what? Like you better get aware because you could sabotage a dog's success, let alone your, your business, let alone the, the, the contract or, you know, whatever, just by going in and, you know, puffing your chest up too much and challenging a husband's ego in front of his wife. Like you have to know how to read that. You have to know how to change the tone of your voice when it's appropriate. You have to know how to, you know, change your your body posture when it's appropriate i talk about this all the time with a um a colleague and friend of mine uh jesse suarez on social media as uh, your dog's favorite uncle uh, he's finally getting some traction and people are you know loving him and, and he's he's a master at that absolute master at walking into a home and completely doing what he needs to do and him and i've had some long discussions about this because i've done the same thing for years as well um how to how to read the room, read the room. There's a phrase, yeah, read the room, know, you know, what's going on around you know, who's there, read the dynamics. You know, I I've been in situations anybody who's done this for any period of time has been in situations where husband and wife and you're there and they get into an argument in front of you yeah. or some, one of them is throwing massive shots at the other one and the other one's just eating it, you know? And you have to be so aware of that. And it, it gets even trickier when, okay, so you're you're sharing information about their relation, usually their relationship with the dog. Um, yeah. And one of them is already on your page and the other one isn't. And they've probably already told the one who's, who agrees with you has probably privately, before you got there, already been hitting the other one with that knowledge. And they got resistance. So now here you are, the third party who's been paid to do it. And you, they, you can always tell when they do it. The one who agrees with you will ask you a question. They already know the answer. Yeah, They're asking you the question so that you say it. So their partner hears you say it. I'm familiar with that. I can recognize it when it's happening. You have to recognize when it's happening and be very careful how you say it. And right after you say it, that's when you got to watch out because the one who agrees with you will then start doing the, <laughs> I you know, they start throwing it at the other one. And that's when you can lose the person who needs to learn the most in that moment because they can very easily feel teamed up on yep. and you have to balance that. And I have had to not chastise, but damn near chastise. I, I've had to say to someone, Hey, relax. This is new information for them. Even though I know that the person's probably already said it before I got there. Hey, relax. This is new information for them. And then build up the person who's receiving the, who needs to receive it and be like, Hey, listen, I get it. This is, this stuff's challenging emotionally. I get it. You've probably heard it. Like you now have to build that one up because their partner's trying to be like, see, I told you so. See, I told you so. And if you coast, if you even come off, like you're co-signing that type yeah. of condescension, you've lost the person you needed to win. What's that got yep. to do with dogs? Nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing. No, it's, it's, I mean, that's like, and I would say when I when I'm at a full old diameter at a full schedule, but when I was basically just only training dogs and not dealing with all these other things, you know, a lot of the times when we'd have clients come in, it was more so me talking to them, you know, kind of breaking down like you know the walls, you know, that they they're putting up or whatever. Like, cause I would get a lot of more of the difficult clients because that was typically like I would get the ones that were a little bit tougher. My guys would get the ones that are a little bit easier, and then that way I can kind of like. I used to call it like, you know, I would always make like jokes. It's, you kind of like, you have to know your audience, right? So there's certain like, you kind of have to play play the part every single time in order to be like, get them to like, okay, cool. Because I mean, like, I obviously I got face tattoos, you know, fairly large bearded dude with a bunch of tattoos everywhere. So people are spending a lot of money. They come and meet me. 
and it, they can be a little i can be a little off-putting especially because i always look like an asshole um so <laughs> so it could be one of those things so like i usually like kind of open it up with like like just like you know a dumb joke just to kind of be like oh like humanize myself a little bit with people and then then they can like oh hey this is kind of cool and like you said it's like there's for the most part there's always that one person that's you know kind of pissed that they're there either because they're spending the money or they don't agree with the training or you know whatever else is going on or they didn't even want the dog in the first place and then you got the other one there who's like more like okay willing uh to go ahead and do it and like understanding so like i'd always kind of like just play the room a little bit you know just talk to them a little bit ask them how their day is going you just kind of break everything down and then trickle in dog training as we would go you know and then at you know by the end of the session you know everyone's happy the dog's understanding certain things and we made it focused on one or two behaviors you know but we still got those one or two behaviors really good and we got the uh, the the handlers the owners willing to practice and take the homework home and actually do those things and i learned over the years of working on that and working on the person more than working on the dog and only focusing on maybe one or two behaviors with that dog but still breaking down the walls and making sure that they're basically you know they were taking in that information and like, okay, cool. Now they're going to go home and they're going to work a heel and a sit versus like, all right, cool. We're just going to train the dog, do heel sit downs, recalls all in one session just to try to do all these things to get all these things done where one person's getting some of the information the other person is just blocking off. So, I, you know, like I said, it's a uh, dog training is more than just dog training. No, it's, 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 I mean, yes, it's so much more like I want to see more seminars about that. I want to see. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to do something about that, but like, I don't want to be the only one, you know, there, there needs to be more of that out there for people, for trainers. There needs to be more, you know, stuff to keep them grounded, especially with social media, because social media skews so much stuff. You know, um, a couple minutes ago, we were talking, you mentioned like nothing's new, right? And I, it made me think of something. I'm glad I didn't forget it. Like, I remember maybe five years ago, give or take. It was like, there was this wave in social media of about around free shaping. And I'm like, and I saw a lot of, you know, it was, you know, amongst dog trainers. Right. And I see a, a lot of trainers then like posting more stuff with free shaping and commenting on posts about free shaping. And they're acting like, it's the coolest new thing. And I'm like, like, this is old as dirt. Like, there's nothing yeah. new about this. There's nothing revolutionary about this. I mean, hello. How do you think movie dog trainers have been crushing it for like a century? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like since, since film has been an even before that, because people went to circuses, right? You know, like yeah. this is nothing new, but then what you see is, and I've had to talk to many trainers that I've worked with about this who have come to me about free shaping. Like I, Oh, by the way, like I don't teach free shaping in the canine blueprint with my pet dog owners. I mention it. I say what it is, but that's, and then I tell them don't do it. And when I've the trainers that I work with, they're like, they don't get it. They're like, well, why? I'm like, well, you haven't worked with enough dogs to know the problems. So like everything you do, like you said, there's no one way to train a dog. Like everything you do, it's a tool. Every method is a, we consider it a tool for getting a job done, you know, teaching a specific lesson. I don't, I don't eat yogurt with a fork. I mean, I probably could probably a bad analogy. If I was hungry, yeah. I but like fork. I use a spoon, right? Like there's different tools. Doesn't mean forks are bad. It just means I'd rather use a spoon for that. If the ice cream is half melted, I'm using a spoon, not a fork. Well, free shaping, it's a tool to teach. It's great. It's absolutely great at teaching certain things in certain contexts. I don't do it with pet dog owners and the, the trainers that I, you know, it's typically someone with a working background, working dog background. So they follow other working dog trainers. They watch what other working dog trainers are doing, but they're not paying their bills with working dogs. They're paying their bills with pet dogs. So then yep. they bring this thing they learned into the pet dog home. And it's like, okay, you do realize that for the pet dog owner, the last thing they need is their dog seeking the problem, seeking the solution to a problem in the environment. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what do you think? 
dog operating independently to solve a problem. All you're there to do is say, hey, problem solved. There's no, that's why it's called free shaping. Like you're not giving any guidance. You're not giving any input other than, yeah, that's, yeah, do that. Yep. Well, the pet dog owner has a dog that already is obsessed with the environment. The pet dog owner has a dog that's already a little bit too autonomous. And you're going to have their dog problem solving from the environment without taking any cues, leadership, or direction from the dog owner? Like they're there because the dog already isn't taking <laughs> any leadership cues, guidance from the from the owner. And now you're gonna free shape, which exact <laughs> which teaches the dog to do that. But it's like they saw someone do it. They saw a yeah. you know another trainer that's of you know some type of clout on whatever or has accomplished certain things in certain contexts, and like then they're no, and actually you can, you can create one hell of a pushy dickhead dog doing too much of that. You get a dog who's like demanding. You get a dog who's like, hey, I did this. Give me something. Hey, I did this. Give me something. And like Skinner observed that no one likes to talk about when they had a bunch of pigeons on continuous reinforcement and they stopped. The pigeons started attacking each other because they were frustrated. They weren't getting what they wanted. Oh, no one talks about that science. Like, yeah. <laughs> but these, if you're new and you see this like, oh, this is cool. Free shaping. Oh, it sounds cool. It looks cool. And then you go do it with a, with a four-year-old Fila Brasileiro that has that's gone through three plate glass windows and ignores the owner like yeah you know, you know, that dog doesn't need to you know learn to ride a skateboard nope <laughs> I think you brought up you brought up a good point too and I see this as an issue um as well um just like learning it right it's like learning this for you know over the last old you know shoot 10 years now since I've had primal canine um it's dog trainers. Like this is the problem I see a lot of young dog trainers have. Dog trainers focus too much on other dog trainers, when you should be focusing on your clientele, getting more clientele, the pets, all this other stuff. You don't need to seek validation from another dog trainer. You need to seek validation and people wanting to people wanting to work with you from your normal pet people on the street who are paying you money. Those are the people that you need to. You know, you need to win over those people because other dog trainers aren't paying your bills. Other dog trainers are possibly just, you know, as you know, in the star training world, there's a lot of fakeness in it. A lot of people talk crap about you, but you're they're constantly seeking validation from other dog trainers when you need to be seeking not validation, but you need to be seeking clientele. You need to be, you know, basically appealing to those people because those are the people that are paying your bills, especially if you want to be a professional dog trainer. Seeking validation from other dog trainers is like, I mean, I don't even know. I can't even, I don't even know what the correlation or where <laughs> that would be like. But pointless. Yeah, it's pointless. How about you know, that? It's, it's pointless. Making friends with other dog trainers is great. You know, having. Absolutely. Camaraderie, having community, having like a community, networking, like building the positive community, all these other things. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, screw other dog trainers. I have a lot of dog trainer friends. You know, they're all like, I have a lot of buddies like, you know, like that. We're I work with a lot of dog trainers. We started out the podcast talking about that. Like, but that's because I have, I'm actually looking to service them and help them. So that's who I listen to. It's the converse yep. too. It's like, if that's who I'm trying to help, then the pet owner is in a different space, you yep. know? So it, it's about who are you trying to service? That's who you need to care the most about. Exactly. And that's just for like the young dog trainers, make friends, do all the things you have to do. You know, we're building a positive community with drinks and dogs, canine street league, all the things that we're doing, we're building it up together. But your main focus needs to be working with your pet clients, working with the people that are paying your bills, making sure that your marketing and everything is directed to towards those people that pay your bills. Don't go out making videos because you saw, you know, some other dog trainer, you know, do this. Don't just take that as like gospel. You know, do what works for the dog that's in front of you. Do what works for your clientele. You know, other dog trainers, that's great. Make friends, you know, be positive with each other, support each other. But don't focus on getting validation from other dog trainers. Boom. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, yeah, and that's where social media has been, has made people understanding that more challenging you know and i 
talked about before. Like I, I don't post a whole lot of videos of me with the dogs doing fancy stuff. Cause you know what? There's no point. Cause that's not what I'm offering people. And th in the past I did try to offer them that cause I thought it was cool. It's like, they don't want that. So now if I post something with any of my dogs or dog, I've personally held the leash on. It's like, no, let me show you a recall. Let me show you a recall in extreme distraction. Let me call Luna off of the spring pole. You know, like yeah. that's relevant. You know, let me call them off of running after a squirrel. Like that simple, well, simple, not necessarily easy, but that simple stuff is what uh, will help the pet dog owner. That will help, you know, it's relevant to them. And I had, you know, I've gone through my own stage of realizing that I was absolutely guilty of doing things with pet dog owners and their dogs and teaching them things because that's how I would do it with my dog. And I I got blank. I, I got uh I got lost and realized, okay, for example, place or even down, even down, place or down, very similar. There's so much, I want to do a whole episode just on the, by the way, on place, like a whole episode on place. Cause I've been having that conversation a lot lately and I have some, uh, some thoughts on it. But anyway, I was teaching these static behaviors the way I would teach it for my dog or a dog I own or a dog that perhaps was going to be a a point dog, if you will, a dog that was going to be in some type of competition where attitude and enthusiasm and speed were criteria for success. Well, when you teach a static behavior with, you know, your clicker and lots of reward and lots of explosiveness, you know, you'll get a dog who will hit that position. And when they hit it, Heads up, ears up, tails wagging. They might be trembling slightly. Um, it looks great to a judge on a competition field. The pet dog owner, they, they don't know that they don't want that. They don't even know that they don't need that. So what was happening was I was creating dogs in situations for pet dog owners where, you know, the dog would hit a stationary behavior, but they were, they were ready to explode into either the next behavior or some epic release, which I can handle that. I like that. I want that. I know how to deal with all of the cons of that so that they're not, I know how to mitigate that intensity. I know how to mitigate that drive. The pet dog owner doesn't. <laughs> You're not going to teach them that in a, in a regular contract. Like, no, they need the dog who actually, when maybe when they lay down, they kind of fall on their side a little bit. Yep. And they just chill. They just kind of like, hey, this is static behavior. I'm just going to chill here for a while. And chill being the key, the key word there. And the attitude, I don't mean, I'm not talking about before someone, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, massive suppression here, because there are some trainers that get that, but they get it through massive pressure. And it's actually suppression. It's not relaxation. Um, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a dog who's like, oh, okay, I'm going to be here for a little bit. I'm cool with that. As opposed to the dog who's like, Pace. Yep. <laughs> Where are we going next? Is the tug coming out? Is the ball coming out? Yep. Like, and this is something that's in particular, it can be challenging for people that come from do a lot of sport, but the bills are being paid with pet. And you got to realize what you would do with your dog or what you would do with a dog in that context might not be the best case scenario or the best thing for your client for the pet dog yeah. owner i think a lot of that stuff comes to you is like patience right like mm -hmm. a lot of times like with us like when i'm when we're teaching the place command i don't want to go too much into it but like you know you when you work with people like dog trainers who are just trying to get it done they're like boom 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 or they're like very excitable people they they you know they train in sport or whatever it may be you know they're so used to just boom getting that explosiveness but hey, like just sitting down, waiting for the dog to relax and then reward that relaxation while they're doing it like that, you know, doing things like that takes a lot more patience and a lot more like, okay, this is this is what my client needs. This isn't what I need. This isn't what I would do, but I, my client needs this. Because you're like you said, you know, clients, although if they see the peppy stuff, they're like, oh, this looks great. And the reality of the situation is like when they go home, 
they don't need their dog on their cot or their bed or you know wherever they may be just sitting there like trembling like okay what's next like doing those things they needed like that relaxation of being like okay cool we're gonna sit down here lay down here and watch a movie or whatever it may be like what a normal household needs you know they don't need a lot of excited don't need a lot of excitability in that household yeah usually the dogs are usually people will reach out to you in the first place because they can't manage the excitability the dog already has yep (laughs) you know i mean hell i don't even i don't even advocate for using clickers in my program in People, you know, they'll say, oh, but if you're using a verbal marker, it's the same principle. Oh, I get it. It's absolutely the same principle. I'm well aware, but I've worked with enough people to know that people treat clickers differently. Yep. And they tend to get really, and it's kind of neat in a way, like when people get really excited, because for the first time in their life with a dog, they're communicating super clear. And that does feel awesome. Like I, I, I am not taking away from it. It feels great when you start truly, when you watch a dog doing something and you know, it's doing it because you taught them and you see the dog having fun and you see the dog in a great mood. That feels good. It feels good to me after doing it for years. I, you know, of course it's going to feel good to the pet dog owner. Well, what yeah. happens is you do get those results quicker with a clicker. Like, Hey, quicker with, the clicker. quicker with a clicker. That's why we use them, right? Like you do get results quicker. Well, then what happens is I have found that once people unlock that door, they tend to overdo it. Either A, they stay in continuous reinforcement too long and they don't move off to different schedules or they stay on the same behavior for too long or they just, the rate of reinforcement is just so high because it's so much fun. It's fun. So they overdo it. And when you overdo it, you there's a long list of, of not a long list, there's a list of things you got to be careful of. There are there is some there are some undesirable consequences of that. Whereas when people are using verbal markers, I find they don't get it's not as fun to them, even though they're still teaching a dog something, even though all those things take place, and someone might be saying, oh, listening to the saying i don't get the difference like i don't care if you get it or not i'm telling you what i personally have seen and not over a sample size of three like i've seen it i've witnessed it but it takes some time in the trenches it takes being honest with yourself and constantly looking at the results saying how could i do better or what why is there a problem here and going, maybe the problem is me. Maybe I should have taught it differently. Maybe I'm not observing what is happening with my clients. So I observe so I can share this, you know, the story right now. I'm like, this is what I've I've watched and I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And so what did I do? I adjusted a little bit. You're not going to like, you don't get that till you, till you spend time working with some dogs and you can't get that at seven seminars in like two or two seminars a month isn't going to get that for you it's probably going to screw you up yep exactly speaking of screwing up um who <laughs> do you know uh, you know i'm going to go with this one no i actually don't for a second <laughs> like you caught my attention like i'm intrigued speaking of speaking of screwing up let's talk a little bit about uh well we have some time here uh dog food katie oh from last episode yeah Yeah, that's people are screwing up (laughs) like i'll i will say this before we even get started here i'm not a nutritionist i we have a nutritionist that we use for our dogs um that does does aussie's food and everything like that and helps us with some of the food we have for our other dogs um but uh what are your thoughts on uh vegan dog food katie uh, okay i am not a nutri- i am not a certified or academically trained canine nutritionist and there i said it too yeah <laughs> disclaimer but, but if you need to go to school to learn that vegan dog food is absolute bullshit you got bigger problems than canine nutrition like i don't know how you survive childhood i feel like like I feel like it's one of those things, and this is like we've we've talked about this before when it came to like positive reinforcement. Like people want to, you know, they they invoke their own personal feelings and thoughts and how they feel about the world onto their dog. You know, like they want it to be, you know, positive reinforcement. They want everything to be positive because they want their life to be all positive. When you know, in real life, life is balanced in a sense. 
I feel like uh, vegan dog food is, I'm sure there's some, some vegan dog food that has like supplemental things, you know, more processing and all this other crap in it. But like, you know, to give you an example, like I was vegan for a while when I was getting over cancer. Um, but I also found out that in order to be like actual, like real, like not necessarily vegan in the sense of like, I don't wear leather or like, you know, you know, like stuff like that, but like vegan in the sense of like how you eat your food. I found out that you have to actually like, like actually eat like, like vegetables, like cook them a certain way, like not use all that processed crap. But, and if you look at it in dog food, dog food is already heavily processed. Heavily. Already, yeah. Heavily. So it's already heavily processed. So just in, you know, simple logic, if we're already dealing with a heavily processed food and we're adding more processed stuff, like in, you know, vegan food or whatever it may be, and we're putting that into dog food, it's already heavily processed. Simple math means your dog is eating heavily processed food. And as we all know, processed food is not good for us, not good for them. This is why, like, you know, we use a, a food, like the kibble that we do use is called Nature's Logic, which has, like, you know, very minimal, very minimal, um, like, ingredients. It's very minimal, very straightforward stuff. And we feed, you know, the dogs we, you know, that work a lot, we feed them raw food. Um, but, yeah, I feel like uh, vegan dog food is one of those things where, like, you know, if someone's putting their own, you know, their own morals and their own, you know, whatever ethics or their own thought process onto it. But in reality, you know, dogs, the reason why dogs have a shorter gas, uh, what an intestinal tract, you know, why they have a such a certain higher pH level in their stomach is to break down meats, raw meat, to break down, you know, bones, to break down all these other things that they're eating. So yeah, vegan dogs. It's food. one of them. I think to be, to say that dogs should eat Vegan dog food is one of the most selfish things you can do as a human in the world of dogs, as a dog owner, right? Because you are yep. project, you are projected. That's selfish. That's caring more about your own personal ideology than what is best for the dog. And, you know, I've heard some rather creative rationalizations you know, oh, well, dogs are omnivores. Yeah, they are. They can eat vegetables. They can. Yeah. I can eat gummy bears. <laughs> I absolutely love gummy bears. I only like the sour them. ones. I I love gummy bears. Al I like the Albanese ones. Albanese. Albanese. I used to be a I used to be a Haribo guy. Yeah. But then um Hill. From Misfit, he's always posting food stuff, and like he posted something about Albanese gummy bears, and I bought them. Anyway, I love gummy bears. I can <laughs> I can eat gummy bears. Does that mean I will thrive? I will physiologically thrive on a diet of gummy bears? No. So can a dog? Can stray dogs raid dumpsters and live? Yes. Will they survive? Yes. There is a distinct difference between surviving and thriving and if yep. there's any doubt on what a dog was meant to eat look at their mouth look at their teeth that is meant for separating organic meat tissue from a bone from a carcass and do dogs need the uh, vitamins and minerals found in vegetables well it helps them but they don't go into the wild and dig up sweet potatoes or yams what they do is they eat the stomach contents and the stomach lining of the animals that dig up the vegetables they they get that nutrition by way of consuming it through a middleman that middleman is an herbivore so they eat the herb it's why they go they don't eat muscle tissue first they go right into the yep. guts and they eat the organs Muscle yep. tissue is a Western human thing, specifically Western human thing. We in the Western world consume the majority of the muscle tissue of, of anyone out there. All the other regions of the world consume a much higher degree of what's called awful. And it's probably because it is awful, but that's to <laughs> my West, that's to my Western palate. And that's, you know, organ meats, organ yep. meats. Or if we look at any Aboriginal indigenous culture, like the organ is the coveted 
part of the animal. That's why the, and you know, hunter gatherers, like the hunters would eat the organs at the scene of the kill because yep. the hunters were prioritized in the society because they're the ones actually going out there and like physically active and risking their lives. So they eat the organs right there on the spot. Then they bring the remainder of the animal, including all the muscle tissue back to the rest of the community who gets to eat that. Like these, these dogs aren't, they're not vegan. Like they're not nope. meant to be vegan. That's like, that is a completely human thing. And to project that onto an animal is freaking disgusting. It, Absolutely. It's, it's reprehensible. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it goes into, and we probably talked about this before. I don't know if it's been online or offline, but it goes into like the aspect of, you know, what the world is becoming. You know, it's, it's something to where like, and this is the, you know, we'll probably get attacked by on this, whatever, <laughs> but whatever. But like, it is in the same sense, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, it's the same thing with positive enforcement people. It's the same thing with, you know, people who can't take any form of criticism, can't, you know, any of that thing. Like right now, we're talking about actual legitimate, like legitimate facts. You know, if you like you said, look at the dog's mouth. The front part of the mouth is rent is meant for ripping and tearing. The back part of the mouth is meant for breaking bones. There's a lot of different things that functions that go into that. And no point, no point and part of their mouth is meant for eating vegetable. I mean, they can eat vegetable, but it's not. They're not designed to be vegetarians, vegans, whatever it may be, whatever you want to label it. They're not designed to it. Is it is a completely human, humanized thing. You know, it's, it's the same thing with like dog parks, the same thing with, you know, all the rest of that stuff. It's all humanized things. It's all stuff that you you invoke your own personal, you know, thought process on it, a very uneducated thought process on it because there's fancy marketing because people are, you know, and this is not to say if someone else was a vegetarian, if you're a vegetarian by diet, that's fine. Our systems are a little bit more, you know, based to be able to process those things. That's what our body, you know, that's why we can eat vegetables. That's why people can thrive being a vegan. That's why people can thrive being a vegetarian. You know, there's a lot of extremely healthy people who are that way. But a dog, like you said, there's a difference between surviving and thriving. A dog is not living its best life being a vegan. You know, a dog lived its, for the, from my experience over the, you know, 20 something years of training dogs and being around dogs, a dog who is on a well-balanced, raw, raw diet is probably one of the healthiest. I mean, look at their skin, look at their, you know, their coat looks great. Their teeth look great. Their energy is great. Their their muscle definition is great. They look leaner. They look they look more fit. They are a well tuned. They're they're you know a well tuned machine. You know the thing I tell my clients all the time is like you know dogs, dogs are basically athletes. They're you know they're little they're they have the potential to be you know Olympic athletes basically if you take care of them properly, right? You know they can mm -hmm. run, they can jump, they can do all these things, but you got to be able to fuel that machine, that dog, the best way possible. And in my opinion. And uh, my, I'm sure your opinion too, you know, vegan dog food is uh, quite bullshit. Yeah. It's nothing. I mean, I think the majority of people probably doing it just off of my observation, they're doing it to appear morally superior. They're doing it strictly for the purpose of virtue signaling to strangers. I'm so morally superior. I'm going to feed my dog a vegan diet. Like it has nothing to do with the dog. It yeah. has nothing. Are there people out there maybe who do because they've just been misinformed? Oh, of course, you know, and those people hopefully can be informed properly. But there, you know, a lot of this, when people do incredibly irrational, illogical things, it's usually coming from what's the opposite of logic? Emotion. It's an emotionally fueled decision. Well, all right. So what? Where's the emotion coming from? The emotion is coming from the gratification, the satisfaction, whatever, however dysfunctional it is from getting approval from complete strangers on social media who probably don't even truly agree with you, but they're just socially pressured to agree with you because they're scared you're going to you're going to cancel them for not approving you. It's like this massive toxic cycle of people agreeing with things that don't even make sense because they're, they're scared of the repercussions of dysfunctional people saying <laughs> that they're bad for not agreeing with them like like it's it's insanity it's insanity it's nuts what are the aliens thinking as they're watching you know i heard that the other day they're like what do you what would an alien say if they're watching this and i'm like what do you mean they're the ones that created this 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 ant farm they're watching it <laughs> they're not surprised they're the ones who put the different you know they're setting this up and they're keeping track you know it's like an episode of the jersey shore is what they're watching 
Oh, wait. Do you, okay. Confession time. Have you ever watched, do you watch any reality TV? No. Have you I ever? did a, I, shoot. When did the first season of like the Jersey Shore come out? This is my timeline for it. I don't know because I never, I, that was a show I never got into. And not because I'm a better person than anybody, because I do have a confession to make here in a moment, but Jersey Shore was not my guilty pleasure. So my ex-wife, Ivy's mom, she she like she used to watch like a bunch of like of these like shows like all the time. And when I would because and then when I first started, this was like I was working like three jobs because I had like the gym and I had like two other jobs uh, and I would come home and like there would be like that would be on the television show and I would. I'd always be like glancing by because I'd probably be on my laptop doing some other stuff. But I would, I think I watched like part of like the first season. And I remember thinking to myself, because at that time I was uh, doing like nightlife marketing. And I remember just thinking to myself, I was like, how the hell did this happen? And I, I remember just like that one, that one part, uh, there's like one of these, like, you know, what's it called? Uh, it's like a pivotal part in like my realization of where, where the world was going. And I was just like, holy shit we are all screwed if this is on television and then i just remember seeing like that part and like that was like one of the last things oh she used to watch like the this teen mom thing too so like and that those are like the two shows i'm like we're we're doomed this is it this <laughs> we're, we have like 10 more years and then the apocalypse is coming if this shit's on television right so my guilty pleasure is below deck don't take that out of context world uh no there's a show called, there's a that could it oh boy there's a snippet I'm, that one tell the media team be careful uh, um no there's a show called below deck and of course there's like several spinoffs of it it's a it's a show about yachting oh and i think i've seen it it follows the crew and captain of you know a motor yacht now they have below deck sailing whether it's on a sailing yacht and they have like, they have, there's a bunch of, they have one for the Mediterranean. They have, there's a whole bunch. Of, I think it was a bra, one of the Bravo shows. Um, Bravo has a lot of reality shows now. And I, I admit, I admit, I, if I just need a nothing distraction, which I don't need very often and I probably should never have, but sometimes I will watch that. And it's, it, I just don't find it as ridiculous as some of the others. Um, but I do find it somewhat entertaining. I like the where they go, the you know, seeing the, where the yachts are. The sailing yacht one is fun. Like I like the sailing lot yet lot, the sailing yacht edition <laughs> of it because I like the captain and it's kind of cool. But uh, a, you know, there is a reality show that is awesome though, and I can I consider it to be one of the last reality shows because I used to like to watch Deadliest Catch. Yeah, that was a that was a cool show, man. Deadliest catch was cool. Like the crabbers up in uh, the Arctic circle there, the, yeah. the North Sea, like that was, that was awesome. Those dudes are however, gnarly. However, I noticed, like I, I watched an episode, a couple episodes of Deadliest Catch like a year ago. And I was very disappointed because it clearly has changed and now is very much under the influence of producers like uh, you could see these hardcore gnarly crab boat captains speaking in ways and doing scenes in between like the boat scenes that were freaking produced and that was very disappointing to me because that show was very clearly not produced because it takes place in a highly dangerous environment so i gave up on deadliest catch and now this is not a guilty pleasure i have no guilt for loving this show alone oh yeah i watched that when i was been running alone it is to me the last reality the last real reality show there's no produce there's no production involved people go off into like really challenging environments especially up there in vancouver island which is just nuts um they get cameras and batteries and they are alone and they do all of their own filming and recording and they get med checks where they come out and people, you know, the doctors check them to make sure they're not starving to death and they give them new batteries for the cameras and they just film themselves. That's the last real reality show. Um, but I do watch below deck. I didn't even think that was for some reason. I didn't even really categorize that as I guess, cause you say guilty pleasures. Yeah. Cause I've, I've watched that when I've been running, I get, 
would tough would the ultimate fighter be considered a guilty pleasure oh you're walking a fine line there dude because there is a lot of reality to it i now mind you i haven't watched tough since i mean probably since my friend was on it i got a couple people we had like when i used to train at gracie tampa like we had i think like three or four guys that i used to train with that went on that show um I think, I think I the last watching. one I saw was like like ten years ago or no nine years yeah. ago. Like one of the last ones I've watched. I last one I watched was when my friend Matt Arroyo was on it. Like when that was he was on Team Sarah. Matt Sarah was the coach. It was Matt Sarah versus Matt Hughes. I think that season. Okay. I watched that. Um, I would say I'm not going to say that's guilty pleasure because there's a lot of authenticity into the struggle that fighters go through on there and what happens in the house. While what happens in the house can be kind of dramatic. I think the reality of what they go through outweighs that. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a pass on that. And that is not a guilty pleasure. I think I, uh, I, I will admit, I will probably be watching the McGregor uh, Chandler one. I think that's going to be a guilty pleasure. Cause I feel like that's going to be all like drama filled and like produced and stuff. Cause I feel like that's how it's getting. Anything with McGregor is going to be, have production value to an extent it's going to have it's about views because he is nothing but you know views it's the capitalization it's the money-making machine of of fighting but hey on that note everyone needs to tune in i think it's this saturday night yep the tarantula anybody in the dog world knows you know this guy is out there with his dogs he's got several pit bulls he's out training trialing competing big time dog guy and he's on the main i think he's on the main card that's a big card too isn't john wait john jones heavyweight versus uh cyril cyril gone yeah the um let's see what you see card this weekend who's on this card yeah john jones oh versus gagne yeah that's gonna be that's going to be a really good one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice little one. Yep. But I'm looking forward to seeing Jalen. Jalen Turner's name, by the way. The Tarantula on social media. Um, Jalen's going to be fighting. So I will watch. I'm going to watch or try to watch somehow either replay or get to someone's house. I'm going to watch that card just to see him fight. Like, yeah, it's cool. John Jones is on it. I want to watch Jalen Turner fight and I want to watch him win because he is a real awesome dog, man. And now some people, you know, John Jones is big into the dogs now. You know, he's got a Dutchie. He's been doing a lot of training. Um, but Jalen's got like several pit bulls and bullies. And, you know, that's yeah, that's where with, my my heart lies. He trains with the uh, Oscar and, and uh, one of the newly uh, certified Canaan Street League uh, decoys, Chris uh, Sykes. Oh, psych certified. Yeah, certified him at the Catalyst. Nice. Very yeah. nice. I enjoyed watching him and his dog at that trial, man. Holy crap. That was awesome. Doesn't Sykes fight as well, though? Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's still active. I'm almost, I'm almost positive. Um, On that note, I wanted to ask, you said something to me off before the show started, and I intentionally didn't want you to explain it to me because... I wanted to be able to sincerely ask you right now. So there's, you told me that there's some changes in the certification process for the decoys. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing now, and this will probably be the last thing we're going to talk about before we wrap things up, um, is we're going to be doing invite only uh, for a certification. So what's going to happen is what I'll be, well, this will probably come out here in, in a couple of days, but there'll be an actual, like, you know, a post on our social media where we're going to be asking people to or asking decoys if they really want to be a part of street league to post videos tag can street league there's going to be a hashtag and a bunch of wording that you're going to have to put out there um and basically show your stuff out there uh online uh, tagging street league and a you know a couple other things we'll have on there and what we'll do is we'll pick people uh pick a handful of people maybe a little bit more uh, to come out to the next pro camp to certify so certification is going to be invite only now uh, and the way you get invited is by showing us your skills online. Uh, we'll pick a few, I'll, I will pick a few people uh, to come out uh, to a pro camp, and then we will we'll put you through the uh, the certification process. 
Uh, I'm already working on that cert the new certification process. I've been basically working out uh fairly insane uh for the last week and a half, uh trying to make things as complicated as possible. Uh and you know, because you know, the thing too is like people don't really understand the the benefits that these decoys get. You know, the the decoys get flown out, they get taken care of food, they get taken care of hotel, they get paid each day that they're there at the trial. Uh, we get we push and we promote a lot of our decoys online. Um, you know, basically media packets, you get little pro cards. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's going on. So we want to make things, uh, we want to change the game a little bit. You know, we want to make sure like mm -hmm. we're, because there's a code of conduct that our decoys have to have. And there's a lot of, I want to say like media stuff that, you know, that's part of that responsibility. But if you're going to be a part of Street League, you got to push the same that we push. And as you know, KD, we push pretty hard. So yeah. that's why, you know, we want to make sure people are out there promoting it, working hard, uh, you know, setting a standard and all aspects of you know and all aspects of the word really dude that's gnarly i'm not surprised like when you tell me stuff like that at this point i've been around street league now the whole time i've watched it grow i'm not uh, there's no more surprises for me meaning like when you say something like that a lot of people are like whoa and i'm like no that's just mike doing mike that's just street <laughs> that's just street league that's another street league-esque way of saying yeah this is this is different. This is going to be different. Yep. Nope. Invite only. And you're going to vomit and <laughs> at, at that certification and you're going to be tested because at a trial, you're going to be treated differently than ever before because at an event, it's going to be an event. And I keep saying that to people when I talk to them casually about street league, I'm like, it's not a trial. It's an event. And they're like, huh? And I'm like, show up and you'll see why. Exactly. We'll be, we'll be we will be releasing the dates here pretty soon on the next one cool deal but awesome cool. let me get to let me get to these sponsors here so well our only sponsor really uh that's ray allen shout out to ray allen uh rayallen.com.com forward slash k9sl make sure you check that out that's especially if we're talking about street league that's where you can get all the street league gear that you can possibly need to hit the trial field to train with make sure you guys are using the primal 10 discount code that's all caps to get a discount on all your purchases. So shout out to Ray Allen. Uh, and yeah, KD, good talking well, to you, brother. This is a fun one, as always. As always. Always a good time. It. Yep. So make sure you guys like, subscribe, comment, share on YouTube. Also check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all your major podcast platforms. We're on there. Share it with your friends. KD, anything to, to leave with? Not today. Not today. Awesome. They're good. They're good. They're good. We're gonna leave them. We're gonna leave them right there. Good. Awesome. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Everyone you do the same, man. Thank you. Yeah. See, See you next week.